I want to thank the worship team for that, uh, the last song that we just did. That's one of my favorite songs right now. It's on my, my iPod and on repeat, so I like that. And uh, I appreciate your ministry. And uh, thank you all for, for your music and, and what you do and just wonderful stuff. Um, just a couple of announcements before we get into this this morning. Uh, Number one, the prayer list. If y'all look inside your prayer list, and it has gotten considerable, uh, the number of people on the prayer list. I, I have never prayed for so many people that I don't know in my life. I mean, I, I like to pray, and, and I try to pray for these people. And, you know, as I've, as I've done some of this the last few weeks, and I, I start looking at some of these names, and, man, it would really be nice if I could put a face with some of these. And I was talking to Brian and uh, one of the things we may do here in the next few weeks, we may just erase the list and, and, and start a new list. Not that, there's in, not that any of these people are not important, but I, uh, I had a conversation with Seth one time. He, uh, we were talking about this very thing, and he said, yeah, and he said he prayed for somebody for three weeks before he found out they had passed away. And I, I thought, what a, you know, that's kind of sad, you know, but... Um, you know, when you start to get a lot of names, it gets, um, you know, we, we like to get updates and stuff. So here in a, be thinking about the prayer list here in a few weeks. I think we're going to trim this down and, and uh, give everybody an opportunity again to, to get your requests onto the prayer list and maybe in a way that, you know, I can do a little follow-up and, and some of the others can, can meet some of these folks and, and maybe talk to them and be able to, to do that, so... Another thing I want to do real quick before we, we get into the message, um, I'd like to ask uh, Angie McInear to come forward, if, if you could. You, you, he, can, he can ride along too, that's all right. He, and, and Dustin, tall us. I'm going to embarrass my, some of my favorite people here this morning. And <laughs> um, that's right, come on down. This is the time of year we, whoops, throw that on the floor. Makes it, makes it play better when you, you do that, throw it on her. <laughs> no, this is the time of year when, uh, uh, go ahead and face it. Uh, um, people go through schooling, uh, people are wrapping up college, people are wrapping up high school, uh, getting training, doing different things, and, and I wanted to congratulate both of these, these people here of uh, First of all, Angie uh, recently received a, uh, oh, it's a, it's a preschool. CDA credential. A credential, a CDA credential. Child Development Associate. Okay, Child Development Associate. That's for, for preschool, to work with, with little kids. That takes some training, that takes time, it takes preparation. And Dustin has just graduated uh, from Urbana University with his bachelor's degree in in uh, education, so Dustin's going to be a school teacher too. I, I tried to talk him out of it, but he wouldn't listen to me. So, <laughs> so I just wanted to uh, to congratulate both of you for your work, and uh, also, you know, something that that as a teacher I always remembered. Some something somebody told me one time is, you know, in a hundred years from now, it's not going to matter what kind of car we drove what kind of house we lived in. 
how much money we had in the bank, but the world might be a better place because you're important in the life of a child. And we want to thank you for that. And uh, so a round of applause, please, for these two. Outstanding. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, so um, today, what I want to get into, uh, speaking of teaching, of course, as a school teacher, one of the biggest pet peeves that I have as I teach is, uh, you know, you'll go over the lesson with the kids. Okay, here's what we're going to do today, gang. We're going to work on this, and I need you to get these materials out, and the reason we're going to do this is because of this reason, and does everybody understand what we're doing? You all have that? Okay, go ahead and get busy. <clears throat> About two minutes later, some kid will go, what are we doing? <laughs> what, what, what are we doing? I'm just like, I just explained, you know, here we go again. Okay. So, you know, you got to go talk to them again. And, you know, a lot of times we do that. I mean, people talk to us and uh, teachers are the worst possible students. Uh, we get to the teachers' meetings the principal or somebody's up there trying to give training and we're back there goofing off and looking at, uh, you know, reading a book, uh, talking about the Reds game, uh, you know, and he's trying to get something done and we're like, what are we supposed to be doing? <laughs> you know, we're just as bad as the kids are sometimes. We totally missed our purpose. We totally missed out on what we were supposed to be doing. And that's a common thing among people. Well, I want to... Uh, we're going to uh, dust off the Old Testament again. If you haven't noticed, I, I kind of like some of these Old Testament stories. I was glad in uh, uh, Sunday school this morning, Russ mentioned, you know, is, is the Old Testament worth looking at? You know, because we're Christians. We're bound under, you know, Jesus Christ, not so much the, the ancient uh, Hebrew people. And, you know, so does the Old Testament have anything? Well, yeah, I think there are things in, in the Old Testament that are, very applicable to us, and you know, Jesus, when he uh, spoke, he mentioned people from the Old Testament with the scriptures at the time that they had would have been the what we today we call the Old Testament. And I want to get into a uh, just real briefly a story of a one of the minor prophets, a guy by the name of Amos. Now, in your Bibles, Amos is uh, he's he's kind of buried in the towards the end of the Old Testament behind Isaiah, behind Ezekiel, the sort of the, the major leaguers as far as the prophets go. Then you got the minor leagues. you got these little guys that kind of do different things. But Amos was a minor prophet who probably lived in the mid-8th century B.C. Okay? He was uh, from the land of Judah, and he lived during a time when God wanted to deliver a message to mostly to the northern tribes of, of Israel. Now, at this time, if you go back to your Sunday school days, Israel had been split up into two kingdoms. Under Saul, David, and Solomon, they had a united kingdom. It was the, the you know, Hebrew people all living there in the promised land. Well, after Solomon screws up, you know, God was like, look, you know, you guys messed up again and there's going to be punishment for this. And so after Solomon, um, the throne goes to his son, a person by the name of Rehoboam, 
and uh, he treats some of the southern tribes very poorly, and things get bad, and before you know it, the, the nation of, of, of Israel splits into two. You have uh, most of the tribes living in the north, um, in the nation of Israel, and then you have some of the southern tribes, they stay down there, what's called the kingdom of Judah. So this is the time that Amos is, is living in. He's probably living in about the same time as uh, Jonah, uh, probably about the same time as, as Isaiah. So you know, this is the time period that we're living in. We're in a split kingdom. And uh, it's interesting, it's kind of a strange time to call for a prophet because in the scriptures, in the book of Amos, it, it talks about how Israel was incredibly prosperous at this time. They had a lot going for it. Um, they had secured their borders. The bad guys, the Assyrians, if you look at the little map up here, modern-day Syria, well, the Assyrians would be up that way. Uh, other groups that they wanted to do Israel in. But they were a strong kingdom at that time. There was nobody messing with them. In fact, they were expanding their borders. They were at peace with Judah. They were at peace with their neighbors, maybe because of what happened with, with Jonah. We talked about that last week, how Jonah had gone to Nineveh, and they had repented. and you know, So there were some good things flowing at this time. And, and here in the... Uh, you know, today what we call the Holy Land, there was peace. There was some sense of prosperity. So why in the world would God call a prophet at this time? A prophet is somebody who, uh, you know, whenever we hear the word prophet, we think of the word prophecy. Oh, he's going to come, he's going to predict the future. This is going to be good. Well, a lot of times prophets came on the scene to bring a warning. Sorry, gang, I don't come with good news. Uh... The Lord has picked me to bring a message that's not, you're not going to like what you hear. Amos was like that. Amos was just a farmer. Uh, spent a lot of time with livestock, and for whatever reason, God says, I need you to bring a message to the people. Because despite the fact that Israel was incredibly prosperous, spiritually, However, it was a time of corruption, a time of moral decay. People had gotten too used to having it easy. They had forgotten about some of the things that they had to go through to get to, to where they were. God is sending Amos to condemn them for going through the motions. The book of Amos talks about how, you know, they worshipped. They gave their, they made their sacrifices. They did all the things that, you know, you were supposed to do. But God wasn't happy with that. They forgot something. They forgot their, their first love. The book of Amos, chapter 6, and uh, there's no way I would try to, read a lot of Amos to you. It's, a, it, it's advanced reading, let's put it that way. Not that you're not advanced readers, but wow, I had to, uh, when I plowed through some of this, I've used a translation that was, uh, I don't think it was more than a fifth grade reading level. I mean, just, just because it helped me to, 
you know, okay, I, you know, to get the basics. And, but I do love this um, Amos chapter 6, verse 1. This is God speaking through Amos. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion and to those who feel secure in the mountain of Samaria, the distinguished men of the foremost of nations to whom the house of Israel comes. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. In other words, Israel, you've forgotten the idea of true worship. You're sitting there at ease. You've got everything you need. You're totally safe. You're going through the motions. God wants to get their attention. Either you guys straighten up or you're going to suffer God's wrath. I will bring you back into line. Amos wants Israel and Judah to remember their purpose. It's almost as if the people of Israel are looking up to God like, what are we supposed to do? What are we doing? Oh, you know, I think we're doing what we're supposed to do. I, I don't know. I don't remember. It's almost as if the entire nation is clueless as to what their purpose is all about. What is it we're supposed to do? Well, God wants them to love Him, to, to seek Him. And I got to thinking about our church here at North Hills, and as we, uh, you know, as, as we uh, wait for a new pastor to come, and 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 uh, and that process of of bringing somebody in. This is a great time for us as a church to kind of reassess our purpose. In other words, we don't want to throw it neutral until a new pastor shows up. We don't want to be like uh, you know the kingdom of, of of Israel here, you know, where woe to you, North Hills, you're at ease, you know, you've forgotten your purpose. There still is a purpose and a mission, and uh, uh, things that we need to do as we wait for our new pastor. The the purpose of the church doesn't just stop because you know we're waiting around. We got to carry on the mission of the church. We don't want to be a church that just goes through the motions. And thank goodness we're not like that. I, last night, the, uh, I guess the noodle dinner was a success. Uh, Sunday school's great. We've got to finally have a, a, a teen Bible study meeting on some... There, there, are, there are things that are happening that are just amazing. I've never been in a church that cared about its people like you guys care about one another. Really... Being the body of Christ to one another is so important. But we go back and think about why does the church exist? Why, why do we have the church, the universal church, the, you know, all the churches? Well, what are we to be as a church? What are we supposed to do as the church? You could think about this for here at, at North Hills. But I think there are five purposes of the church. Um, Seth and I went to a, oh, a conference. It was probably 20, 15 years ago. We went and saw leadership guru by the name of John MacArthur. He talked about some things. And then we read through a book called uh, 
purpose-driven church or something like that by Rick Warren, who's a famous person. And, you know, what is our purpose? And Rick Warren talks about the purpose of the church. And Seth had preached a long time about the purpose of the church. What are the things that we, we are to be about? We've never abandoned that. One of the things that I've just loved is we developed a mission statement that's easy to remember. You go around and you talk to people, they could probably tell you, you know, I'm gonna, I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but since I'm a teacher, I do this all the time. What is our mission statement? Leading people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Everybody knows that. That's fantastic. We know what our mission is. The purpose, or the church really has, I think, five purposes. The reason Christ put the church into the world, uh, number one, was to love the Lord with all your heart. That's the idea of worship. We'll go ahead and flip to the next one there. Love the Lord with all your heart. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, strength. Okay, the idea of worship. Before service, before we do anything, God wants us to worship him. You think about what had happened uh, to Israel in the book of, book of Amos. They were doing all the church things that they should have done, but they had forgotten their, their real purpose, which was to worship God. That's what God was upset about. You guys are going through all the motions, doing all this stuff, but you forgot about me. You're not here to love me, to worship me, to, to honor me. I am God Almighty. Let's not forget one of the great purposes of the church is to worship God. In the book of Ephesians, and I put up some scripture. We don't, we don't have time to go through them, but if you want to make notes of them. Um, in Ephesians, the second purpose of the church, of the five different purposes, is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's ministry. Go ahead and flip to the next slide real quick, Eric. I want to see if... Uh, uh, try one more. Oh, back to my... Uh, I didn't know. I did all that work last night and forgot to save it. I hate it when that happens. Oh, well. <laughs> Second purpose of the church, to love your neighbor as yourself. The other night at men's Bible study, we were talking about what it really is that God requires of Christians to love God, and to love your neighbor. I mean, that's the whole thing boiled down. I love that. It's so simple. It's almost so simple. It's like, what? There's got to be a lot more to it than that. It can't just be that simple. The third purpose of the church, go and make disciples. That's evangelism. Go into the world Make believers of all the nations, bring them in, baptize them, which means to, as they go through that ritual, to, to set them apart, bring them into the family of God. This is what the church is about. And then finally, the fifth purpose, teach them to obey, to engage in discipleship. I know some of these words are, you know, for new Christians, they can be confusing discipleship, evangelism. You know, I, I'm not up on the lingo here. I feel like I'm lost. You know, but uh, 
you know, the purposes of the church are pretty simple. We're to worship God. We're to minister to other people. We are to go out into the world, bring more people in with us, and then teach them to be like Christ. That's what the church does. Let's focus on our mission statement for, for just a second. We'll go ahead and flip ahead here to the... North Hills exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to put you on the spot. What, if, what did you do last week to lead somebody into a growing relationship with Christ? That's our mission. That's what we want to do. That's what we want to be about as a people. Leading people into a growing relationship with Christ. We do a lot of things. But we've got to be careful that we not stop doing the things that are important, that we fulfill the mission, the purpose of the church. If we rely on the worship service only to fulfill that mission, we're going to fail miserably. Church service is not the best place to disciple people. This is not the best setting for us to help people grow in their relationship with Christ. You get to come, we listen to some music, and I love the worship this morning. I was just, normally I don't get too wound up, but I was, I was swaying. But uh, this is not the best place for our mission, discipleship. Here comes the sports analogy. You knew it was coming. You know, they got to work one in here somewhere. Uh, Jimmy and I coached football for 30 years. We even got some Todd's here. Todd, he played football. I mean, we even coached him. I mean, it's, it's, we're starting to get people, you know, see that I've we've worked with before. That was a long time ago, though, but... There are different ways that you can run a football practice, and I've seen them both. Um, first of all, you have what I call daddy ball. Daddy ballers. These are the uh, usually the youth peewee leagues. You'll get guys who, and I'll never fault anybody for volunteering their time to coach, to help, to, to be involved with the kids. I think that's amazing. But a lot of times they, they'll get together and first practice, first practice, they just figured out how to get their equipment on and all right, boys, just line up. We're going to start learning some plays. And so they all line them all up, and we're going to run plays here. And here you go. And so they'll spend the next two hours just running, trying to run plays over and over and over again. There's a problem with that. Really, only two or three kids ever get to touch the ball. Nobody ever really learns what they're doing. They just kind of crash in. They, they just kind of float around, like kids in my class, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? I don't know, just go run into that kid, you know. There's another way to practice as well, and that's to, very systematically, after you get warmed up, you break them down into small groups. You break them down into, okay, the wide receivers, you guys go over there. Linemen, you go over there. Quarterbacks, you're with that coach. And we'll spend the next 45 minutes on individual skills. You take the game and you break it down into tiny little pieces. This is how you learn how to do this block. And this is what you do on this play. 
This is how you tackle. So then when you bring them all back together as one big team, everybody has training. They all kind of should know, theoretically, what they're supposed to do. Football's like that. Problem with daddy ball, as I call it, uh, unless you've got the wrong coach, if you're just running plays, it's usually the same 11 kids, they're running every play. And you got 30 kids just standing around. They're not part of the, the team. They don't know what's going on. And after a few years of that, those kids are like, why do I want to do this? I'm cannon fodder. My only role is to stand here and let these 11 guys pound on me. You think about that with church. A lot of times, what I've noticed over the years is, and not, not intentionally, but a lot of times you have the same 11 people doing everything. Same 11 people, they run all the plays over and over and over. And the vast majority of the team is kind of left out. You're left on the sidelines. You have to stand there and watch those 11 do everything. There's a person in the church, I won't tell you who she is, but I've, she's really been on my heart lately. This is a person who, has, who does all kinds of stuff. And frankly, I'm worried about her burning out, flaming out. I've been there. When I was a young Christian... I tried to actively get involved here at church, and I would do things and, and get really involved, and, and after a while, man, I'd just flat burn out. I think for the health of the church, one of the neat things that I've seen over the last couple of years especially is so many more people wanting to get involved. We're not content to allow just the same 10 people do all the work while everybody else kind of stands on the sideline. I've seen more people get involved, especially since Seth has left, um, than I've ever seen, which is fantastic. People wanting to, to get in the game. We can't rely on the same 11 people to carry us through every game. and We all have to get involved. We have to remember why we're doing what we do. We do a lot of different things, but we've got to be careful to not stop doing the things with a purpose as a group, as a church. One of the things that I would like to focus on the next few months and really kick off here in the fall would be another reemphasis on small groups. Plugging all of us into a small group. Just like a football team. I want to break you guys up into groups. Because we don't learn. Change happens in circles, not rows. Like all of you, I want to help lead people into a growing relationship with Christ. I'm just not sure we can do that if we just rely on this. God wants us to use this for his worship, to magnify him, to thank him for all that he has done for us. I'm not here to be your life coach. I want to point you to, to God. 
that your worship would be on Him, that you would remember Him. Our worship team, what they do to try to draw us into God's presence. I don't want to be a little toy soldier walking around trying to just go through the motions. I don't want to be that kind of person. You don't want to be that. Thank goodness we've worked hard to not to become that kind of a church. Just out of a show of hands, how many of you are plugged into a small group? Looking around, about half of us, three, yeah, about, a, about half maybe, are plugged into a small group. That's fantastic, because if we want to really grow in our relationship with Christ, it's, that's taking place in that small group. I was talking to uh, an older member of the church who was talking about his particular small group, and what a close-knit group it is. And how they're able to minister to one another and to help one another and to share concerns and to check on one another and to do things. That is the body of Christ in action. That's what Christ meant when he said, you know, my church in the world. I want to look at uh, a specific church in history, the Ephesian church. We've heard of the book of Ephesians before. And in the book of Revelation, okay, so we're at the end of the story here, and the Apostle John has gotten himself banished to this island of Patmos, and he's going to see visions and see things he can't understand, but he'll write it down. And, and one of the things that happens while he's here is... He, uh, he, he sees a vision from God. I think it was Jesus. Others may not, may think it was an angel or something else. But anyways, to me, Jesus appears to John. And uh, if you look in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, he's going to talk about this specific church. Okay? And I want to read this to you. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write this, not to the angel, that word probably means to the leader, to the pastor, to the teacher, whatever, the elder. So the Lord's telling him, I want you to tell this to the, the, you know, the leader there in Ephesus. The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, we're talking about God. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, perseverance, and that you can't, cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and haven't grown weary. That's a big thumbs up. Good job, church. You guys don't put up with any nonsense. You don't put up with false teaching. You don't put up with evil men. You're standing firm despite the fact you're being persecuted, despite the fact people are laughing at you, people don't like your church, they don't want you because you're holding the line. Good for you. But, verse 4, I have this against you. You have left your first love. 
Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, you know, you guys are doing a great job, but you've forgotten your first love. Like Amos told the people of Israel, you're doing all the right things, but you've forgotten what it's all about. It's to love God, to serve God. Is what we do here at church to serve Him? Or have we caught ourselves at times going through the motions? I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. That's the only reward you're going to get. We need to serve God. Um, Ephesus was an important trade town. There are a lot of people who went through Ephesus. It's a city on the, uh, the coast of Turkey. So it's right out on the uh, Mediterranean Sea. had a very deep port. So it's a trade route. There are a lot of people coming and going through, through the city. It's also the center of worship for uh, other gods. When the Greeks had it, you had the god Artemis. Uh, well, now that the Romans had it, you had Diana, uh, the temple to her. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And here you've got these Christians running around, well, pff, that stuff's, that's false. Paul ministered at Ephesus for three years. Timothy, the apostle John, all served that church. John was probably arrested there in Ephesus by uh, the Roman emperor Domitian. That's what ended up, why he got kicked, off, kicked out and thrown out to Patmos Island. It was way off the coast. Through all this, the church had remained faithful. They had remained faithful to doing God's work. But they had forgotten their first love. They became so wrapped up, I think, in correct doctrine. They became so wrapped up in their worship They started to go through the motions, and they forgot their first love. They forgot Christ. We have to guard against forgetting our first love. We're in a time here with our church. We can't afford to put it in neutral. Well, new pastor's coming. He'll get us going again. He'll he'll take care of things. And it's not me. I'm not your pastor. I'm you. We've got to guard against forgetting our first love. We must not allow our passion and fervor to become this cold orthodoxy. It's a weird time for us right now, but we have to take it serious. I think we have to get it right. Christ told the church at Ephesus, you better watch it. I love all the good things you're doing, but you've forgotten your first love, and if you're not careful... I'm going to take that lampstand with your name on it and remove it. I think Christ, although he's not physically with us, I think he is within the church. You ever stop to think about that? I mean, here at North Hills, Jesus himself is present and aware and alive and interested. He's not a magic fairy tale. These aren't fables. 
when we bring it on Sunday mornings? Is it to worship, to love, to get ourselves back in line with, with Him? Now, I don't know if there are many lampstands in heaven, but I think there's probably a little lampstand somewhere that says North Hills Church of God on it. Now, it's probably not as big as the church of Ephesus, and it's probably not you know, as big as the church of Smyrna and all the other ones listed here. And, but there is a lampstand. We are part of God's kingdom. We are part of His church here on, on this world. As we look forward to His kingdom that He establishes, we'll play a part in that. But we've got to make sure that we don't lose our first love. Otherwise, God will remove our lampstand from its place. That tiny little lampstand. Bing! You've forgotten your first love. We have to watch that. If Jesus threatened to do that to the Ephesian church, what would he say to us? I was talking to someone the other night. What would Jesus say if he came to our church? What would he actually say about us as a people, as a church? I want to encourage everyone to continue to hold on to your first love. I know today's message was kind of a prophet, kind of, you might feel like, man, I got hit over the head with a Bible today. That's not my purpose. But I also have a unique advantage. I can say things that might make people a little nervous, and I don't have to worry about it, because... Anyways, um, I don't want to do that, but... Um, but I want to encourage everyone to continue to hold on to your first love. Seek Him before you bring your need. That's what I've always tried to tell the kids growing up, was you know, pray to God, ask God for things, but don't forget to worship Him. Don't forget to, you know, Lord, I need this. Well, before that, you know, God, you, amazing God, you just blow me away, God. Please help me. You know, but don't forget who your first love is. Love Him and worship Him. You know, we want to fulfill the mission of the church here in the world. Go ahead and flip ahead here. We're just about finished. See if there's any more slides. Yeah, chances are, if we want to fulfill the mission of the church, again, I don't think we're going to do it just sitting here in nice little rows, I think we need to be in small groups. And that's what I'm going to be pushing here the next few months. And some of you are probably thinking, here we got small groups. I don't want to be in a small group. I got softball games. I got 18 other things. I can barely get to church on Sunday. And now they're asking me to... Well, yeah, I am asking you to do that. Chances are you've already been in a small group. You ever played basketball, been on a team? You've been in a small group. You ever uh, play cards? Probably get thrown out of church 50 years ago. Talk about playing cards in church. You don't play cards. Uh, you ever get together and watch football games? You ever join the bowling club? If you've been a part of a you know, ladies' night out down here, whatever, you've, you've been a part of a small group. And usually when you're a part of these groups, they're positive experiences. They're a lot of fun. I don't know why it is when we think of church small groups, we're like, oh, here we go. 
and sit there and get bored and somebody's going to beat me over the head with the Bible. Go ahead, go ahead and flip ahead here and we'll... Uh... Is this your idea of leading a small group? Yes, maybe even you could be a small group leader. I know a lot of new teachers, they're like, oh, this is, <laughs> this is their worst nightmare. Oh, please don't, <laughs> I don't want to see this. I don't think you're going to see that. Go ahead and flip ahead here and we're going to wrap this up. Think it over. I want you to think it over about what are the possibilities of small groups here at North Hills. Because if truly leading people into a growing relationship with Christ is our mission, we need to be about doing that. Um, lives are changed in little circles of people who care and love each other. Now, of course, here at church, you know you're loved, and we care about you, and we want you to be successful. But if we really are serious about helping people grow into that relationship, of taking people and helping them to remember their first love, I think we do that as a church in small groups. So over the next few months, I'm going to be talking to some people, encouraging some people to keep your groups going, maybe plug some of you who have not been in a small group. We can find something that appeals to, to you because we want to minister to you. We love you. We want you to, to grow in your relationship with Jesus. That's what this church is about. So if our worship team would, would come forward, I think we'll, uh, just to restate our, our mission again, we exist to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're already a small group leader in church, would you raise your hand? I don't care if you teach Sunday school, men's group, Russ. Russ, you got them all. It's just Russ. Jen, there you go. Now think about what I had said earlier about the football team. Can we, we got some amazing football, or excuse me, we got some amazing people here to lead us to worship at church, but uh, it takes more than that. I think we all need to get involved, and uh, I'm going to be talking to some of you and encouraging all of us to get involved in, in small groups. Okay, let's worship God.